Hey there. This is Story Story Late Night, the positively shameless black sheep of the Story Story Night family, where you hear bleep-worthy stories on an unblushing theme told live at the adults-only Visual Arts Collective in Garden City, Idaho. I'm Artistic Director Jody Eichelberger. On this podcast, we encountered the Story Story Stoplight and slowed for stories on the theme Yellow Light on July 31st, 2018. During the slam, we randomly drew names from a race car, and they played in traffic with a five-minute story. Now it's time to speed through the light. It's story time. Let's hear it for Jose! How y'all doing? Alright, so this is the story of why I quit drinking, which is ironic that I'm here in a bar. Uh, <laughs> so, uh... This happened in February of this year, and I was at a party, a house party with a bunch of friends, and um, it was, you know, it was going really well, and uh, <clears throat> I was pretty, you know, drunk, obviously, <laughs> and uh, for some reason or another, I decided that um, I would start dancing um, with a table, and. Uh, <laughs> The table didn't really take too kindly to it because it was like a tennis, like table tennis kind of thing. It was really flimsy. And then like I, I did this kind of thing, like, right? And uh, <laughs> when I did that, like the table kind of like fell because I was like pushing on it so I wouldn't fall myself because I'm a big dude too. And uh, the table collapsed and uh, the dude that was throwing the party, he was like, all right, well, I guess you have to leave now. And I was like, well, who's going to take me home? And he's like, well, how'd you get here? I said, well, I drove. And he was like, well, fucking get in your car and leave. And I was like, I don't know where my keys are at. And uh, he was like, don't worry about it. We'll fucking find them. So I ended up drinking like a lot more, which is like the perfect idea in this situation. And uh, <laughs> so uh, I end up like, you know, drinking and drinking and drinking. And then uh, finally I do find my keys. Then he's like, well, you've been drinking like way too much, actually. Like you shouldn't drive. And I was like, ah, fuck that because I know better. <laughs> so I get in my car, and uh, the thing about it is that I live probably like a block and a half away from where the party was at. <laughs> so I could have walked, and I knew that, but I was like afraid that my car was gonna like get rained on too much or something like that, I have no idea. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I figured like I, I need to take my car back home, um, but then like as I was driving, like I hit a stop sign and I got, I got hungry. And uh, the only thing that's open at that point in time is Jack in the Box. And it was like clear on the other side of town. So I was like, yeah, I can make that. So I'm making my way over to Jack in the Box. And uh, as I'm heading that way, uh, I, I start to like, feel myself like, lose control of the car. And it wasn't really like me losing control of the car. It was me falling asleep behind the wheel. And uh, that was really terrifying. So I said, fuck that, turned back around, started heading back home. Um, but I didn't make it all the way there. Uh, I ended up like pulling up and uh, stopping in like a t uh, in a turning lane. <laughs> and uh, all I remember was like seeing like two yellow lines on either side of me, and uh, this uh, flashing yellow light because uh, the light had gone out. Uh, it was like late at night. It got rained on or whatever. The, the stoplight was just flashing, and uh, that's the last thing I remember until I just hear a knock. Right, just. I'm like, what's that? I open up, I open up my eyes, and uh, sure enough, there's a cop. And I'm thinking, damn. 
That's a weird way to wake up. <laughs> so, so uh, he's like, oh, roll down your window. And I was like, all right, cool. And uh, he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, well, I was sleeping. <laughs> and he was like, well, why? And I was like, I don't know. He's like, how'd you get here? And I looked around. And I was like, I think I might have drove. I don't know. And uh, <laughs> so he's like, well, uh, can you step out of the vehicle? And I was like, yeah, I'll step out of the vehicle. I knew I was already in trouble. Um, that was like one of those kind of like immediately sober up kind of things. Um, so I sit up, and as I sit up, uh, like I, I move my foot and I feel my car jerk forward. My car was still on and it was in drive. And I was terrified at that moment. And I went from like, you know, being sober and like upset to being sober and like legitimately scared for my life. And uh, that was probably the hardest thing that's ever happened to me. Um, and since someone else wanted to talk, I figured I might as well share that story. Um, I got arrested that night, obviously, and uh, went to jail. Uh, it was cold in there. <laughs> I don't know if y'all ever been in jail before. It's not very warm. And uh, yeah, like uh, now uh, it's, that was in February, so it's been about a little over five months since I've had anything to drink. And uh, you know, I'm, pr I'm pretty proud to say that. Cynthia somebody! I can't read your last name, but it gets begin with an M. Hi. Um, so I have a cautionary tale for you all today, and it is about how the things you love can sometimes bite you in the ass, literally. Um, a couple years ago, I, my, well, this is a long story. My mom became homeless. It's okay, she's not anymore. Also, she's kind of a terrible person, so. Whatever. <laughs> That's a different cautionary tale. <laughs> but when it happened, I brought my little brother live with me because he was 17 years old and he's autistic and he didn't deserve to be homeless. So I brought my brother to live with me and that was a cautionary tale that I learned for myself uh, about getting yourself in way over your head. Um, but he's good. He still lives here in Boise and he loves it and he's like super happy where he's at. Um, but he likes to indulge in things with complete disregard for how it may or may not affect him. So if there is a package of Oreos, Jeff will eat all the Oreos and then later complain about being super sick without knowing why he's sick. Um, he just doesn't understand the caution that, you know, I try to give him of like, hey, like you need to be careful. You need to monitor your eating. You need to not do these things. He doesn't get that. Um, so cut to, I think probably like a year and a half ago, I'm at work and I get a call and my little brother is in the hospital and I'm like, you know, tell my, my work people, hey, like, I got to put you guys on hold. I got to see what's going on with my brother. I'm super concerned for his well-being. And uh, his caretaker lets me know that he is in the hospital because he is experiencing internal bleeding. And I think, like, all the worst thoughts that could possibly pop into your head, like something's horribly wrong with him, like, or, you know, even worse, like he does live with caretakers, so like there could have been some sort of physical abuse, right? Um, so I'm super concerned. Should I go to the hospital? Do I need to leave work? What do I do? Uh, his caretaker says like, well, we're, you know, we're talking to the doctors, we're trying to figure it out. Um, we just kind of noticed that he was bleeding, so we're like a little bit worried. They're checking out his stomach right now. 
I'm like, okay, I guess I'll just sort of like hold tight. I'll sit here with this yellow, this I don't know whether I should go or whether I should stop work or what do I need to do. And uh, maybe like 30 minutes later, my brother calls me and he's like, hey, sis. I'm like, hey, bro, like what, what's up, man? Like you're in the hospital? Yeah. Okay, well, so like, what, like what's going on? Are you okay? Well, my stomach's been hurting for a couple days and I don't really say anything, but like I'm bleeding out of my butt. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, so this is, he's like, yeah, the staff noticed and so we went to the ER. I'm like, okay, well, that's good. I'm glad that someone noticed this and that we're getting medical attention for this. That's awesome. So I'm like, so what's going on? Do they know what's wrong? Do you want me to leave work? Do I need to come take care of you? Like, what do you need from me? Well, I was talking to the doctor and um, I've been eating like a lot of sunflower seeds, like a lot. And what I know that he probably didn't bother to tell anyone is that when Jeff eats sunflower seeds, he loves them so much and he can't possibly stop himself. And he just eats all of them and swallows the shells. And so when he lived with me, there were no sunflower seeds allowed, but they didn't know that when he moved into his apartment and they just kind of let him do whatever, pick out his own dietary restrictions. So what the doctors figured out is that my dear sweet brother has been shoveling handfuls of sunflower seeds into his mouth and just chewing them up and the shells have just ripped apart his insides. Uh, so, mind you, again, he's 17, so like he should know better. And also um, it's kind of a, it, it's that time when like it's a super awkward thing to be bleeding out of your butt, right? Like when you're, when you're 17, it's a weird stage for that. Uh, <laughs> so I'm like, what what do you okay so you ate the sunflower seeds cool i hope they were really delicious <laughs> what do we need to do now and he's like well i'm super dehydrated so they're gonna like they have like an iv and i'm getting fluids i'm like okay um are you gonna get released tonight what's up so like he got released um he had to wear a diaper <laughs> for like a week um which i know like i'm i laugh because if you knew my brother and you knew what he put me through you would think it was funny too <laughs> <laughs> that my 17-year-old brother is, like, <laughs> rolling around in a diaper. <laughs> um, but the lesson there, and he, gra like, he graduated from high school this year. He's doing great. He, uh, I gave him a bag of seedless sunflower seeds for his big celebration. Uh, but the lesson there is that you should take caution lest you overindulge and wind up hurting yourself in the long run. <laughs> The real Sophia! <laughs> Hello. They said that um, the odds were good that I wouldn't be drawn. And as they drew my name, I said, somebody else. And somebody else was me. So, um, my, I'm, I'm a very literal person. It's like this. I have a story about actual traffic lights. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, but for your own palatability, it includes dating. Um, and there's no like crazy, mysterious things. It's just my own choosing. So um, I've done a lot of dating and some of it's neither here nor there, but um, I've dated, I never wanted to look at people's history as like good family, bad family, 
whatever family. I grew up in Caldwell. Uh, <laughs> woo! So I started dating someone from Meridian. <laughs> and you know he was from Meridian because uh, he was more affluent than I was. So affluent, his dad was in going through legal trials for white collar crimes. <laughs> so, um, and I'm driving my Volvo and you know, you're dating and you're like, been dating a while, so you're scraping the bottom of the barrel for conversation because <laughs> you don't really have anything in common. <laughs> but it's hard to be like, this is weird because your dad's going through a thing. I kind of want to do another thing. So you're just fine conversation. So we're driving, and he has these beautiful blue eyes. And he looks at me and goes, you know, what kind of signal lights do you get? And I said, well, like a third of each. Like, sometimes they're green, yellow, <laughs> red. Those I just blow through <laughs> sometimes. And he goes, Oh, and I go, huh? And he goes, my dad? You know, he gets a lot of yellows. And I was like, yellows? And you know, when there's like a big family thing, you don't talk about it because it's awkward. So I'm like trying to really dig here for what this means. So I'm like, yellow? And he goes, yeah, I think it just means sometimes people get caught in a bad place, like in between. I was like, okay, that's cool. And um, that is kind of how that went. I decided that I was mostly green. I still am mostly green. Um, and I think anyone who tells you they get yellow lights or their family gets yellow lights, you know, stop. <laughs> Thank you. Let's get Micah Taylor up here. Micah Taylor. Um, so my name's Micah. I just moved here about a year ago. Um, hi. I am a wedding photographer. I've been a wedding photographer 15 years. I love it. And I'm here to talk to you today about things not to do at weddings, particularly redneck weddings. And I love my clients. If you are the father of the groom, please remove the Bluetooth out of your ear. True story. Bluetooth was in the dad's ear. He had shades like this. He was about 350 pounds of pure belly. He was smoking a cigarette during family photos. So much fun. And he's sitting there and he's like, I fucking love my daughter. I fucking love my daughter. I hate you for marrying her, but I fucking love my daughter. I was like, all right, sir. Really, really want you to take that cigarette out of your mouth and need the sunglasses off your head. I don't know who carries a Bluetooth anymore at a wedding, but you really need to take that off. <sighs> no fucking way. All right. Now, I'm a giant woman. I'm also in the Air National Guard. So, Master Sergeant, I can... Yeah. I can put that shit down real quick. I try not to, I try to be really respectful, but you're gonna take that fucking cigarette out of your mouth. <laughs> so, sir, I'm gonna ask you one more time. <sighs> no fucking way. Okay, all right, let's get physical. Put the camera down, look at him, I'm like, you got one second. Grab the cigarette, grab the Bluetooth, take all of that out, 
put it down, and very, very, very obviously rub that cigarette into the ground. <laughs> he was not a happy man, but he had to smile. All right, sir, you're doing really good. I hate you. I know, it's okay. Right here, right here. One shot, I promise. You don't even have to smile. Get in the damn photo. I felt really bad for the bride, but hey, it's her dad. She should probably know how this is going to go. Take the photos. The mothers hate me because I photograph first looks, right? I don't believe in photographing someone walking down the aisle first because it's really awkward. Look at yourselves before the wedding, have those photos, and then go do the ceremony. Get that time together. They did not understand this. As I'm taking pictures of the bride and groom seeing themselves together, the mothers are in the background and they're peering through the window. So I'm like, all right, maybe I'll move my camera a bit to not get the moms. Well, the moms move. They're in every fucking shot. Right here, right in their face. So much fun. I love redneck weddings. Okay, this is going good. While the wedding is happening on a river next to the trailer, but we're trying not to get that in the background. Dad is constantly chain smoking cigarettes with the mirrored shades on. A massive storm starts rolling in massive. I'm talking, the water is coming down, I can see it in the distance, and I'm a pretty brave photographer. I don't mind the storm coming. We should go, we should go get this photograph. It looks like it's photoshopped, let's go do this. Father of the groom, or father of the bride. No fucking way. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, sir, this actually isn't about you. It's not your wedding day, it's actually their wedding day. So I'm gonna drag them out, and the groom is wearing jeans at his own wedding. All right, let's make magic. So we take him on out there. We get these beautiful photos. I forgot that the groom really only had so much teeth. So don't smile that much. So just look really happy because honestly, dude, you won the fucking lottery. Have you seen your bride? Seriously. Got these gorgeous photos. The ceremony comes in. They have a very, very, very ugly chairs right down in the ceremony. I'm like, okay, I can't Photoshop the chairs, but the guests are sitting in them. That's okay. And these guests start rolling in, also in jeans and very awkward t-shirts with nice sayings on them that I will not be taking pictures of them. Am I done? No? No? Okay, almost there. And people are standing in the aisle that the bride is walking down in. And I'm like, you gotta move, dude. It's not even nice anymore, like you need to move. I don't feel like moving. Well, this isn't your wedding day. <laughs> you need to have a seat, okay. And they just kept coming in. All of these guests, they had 30 chairs and they must have had 100 guests at this wedding. They filled the aisles. She's going through like this, trying not to get, her dad smoking a cigarette as he's giving her away. And this may be the worst wedding I've ever photographed. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I love my job. I love my job. Go ahead, we take the pictures, ceremony ends, we're almost at the reception, and the rain comes. And it pours with a hundred grass running around and children are screaming, but they kind of like the rain, so those were fun photos, actually. <laughs> and I'm looking and around and I go, you, you need to send me home, because I can't photograph this in the rain. I love you, your wedding was interesting, it's definitely nice, but I have to go home. Instead of sending us home, because I had a shooter with me. We stood there underneath the tent for two and a half hours, not taking any photos as everybody was miserable. The rain lightens up, reception starts, 
the dad decides to give a speech. Caution. <laughs> Puts a cigarette in his mouth, looks at his groom, you hurt her and I'll kill you. Oh, welcome to the family. <laughs> Oh, I fucking love you, honey. Okay, this is good. And he gets in and he hugs them both with a cigarette in his mouth. And that's my favorite shot from the whole wedding. <laughs> Thank you. Edward Bowers! Let's get him up here. Hello. So I didn't know what I was coming to this evening, um, but I'm really glad I did. The yellow lights thing made it very clear that I was coming up here, if at all possible. I, I was born an only child to two parents very desperate for a child who'd lost one right before me. I came out, I was NAPGAR 10, but very yellow. But it was a, it was a light yellow. <laughs> and so they're, they're concerned, they're going through all the tests, I'm perfectly healthy, everything's great. But about four years later, I'm really sick. I'm in the hospital, not gonna make it. And they, they're freaking out. We live in Salmon, Idaho. There is just absolutely not a fucking way that this kid's gonna make it. Doctor says, take him to Missoula. So we drive as quickly as we can. My mom's resuscitating me in the back seat of the car. And we make it to Missoula. And I wake up about seven days later in the hospital with a woman kneeling on my chest, stabbing me in the finger. And I was, that was kind of stupid. And I could smell Kentucky Fried Chicken out the window. I was like, oh. all right. I haven't ever had fast food before, but whatever that is, I'm gonna eat it. Um, and so I find out that I have diabetes and that it's this whole thing. And it involves food, which pisses me off. Um, and this happened to be Christmas Eve night. And so I wake up and Christmas was today, as far as I knew. And so we go home and I pull out my stocking and I start yanking candy out of it and shoving it in my mouth. And my mom immediately turns around and this is in 1987 when they didn't know a whole lot about diabetes the way they do now. And my mom is just like, oh shit, he's dead. So she's freaking out and rushes me to the hospital and like, oh, no, no, give him some insulin, he'll be fine. Okay, so we make this mad rush to get me to Missoula, we make this mad rush to figure out my diabetes. We get it wrangled in. And now we're desperately seeking, what does this kid do? I'm so sick, I live in a small town, I'm terribly awkward publicly. And so they put me in the performing arts. They're like, okay. <laughs> Put him on stage. <laughs> the first, the first <laughs> play I was in, the director immediately said, put this kid in dance. He's the most awkward human being on stage I've ever seen. So I do 10 years of ballet really terribly. I mean, awful, but I could sing. So I stood up in front of the yellow lights um, up above me, and once those lights were on me, I wasn't diabetic. I wasn't gay in a small town. I wasn't awkward. I was just me on stage in the dark. Um, well, I wasn't in the dark, but they were. <laughs> and <laughs> I thought that was pretty awesome. And my only child just bloomed within me. 
And so I went away to college to be a performing artist and hated it. Hated it because I suddenly realized as great as I was in Salmon, I wasn't, I wasn't the caliber that was going to get me enough money to pay for diabetes. <laughs> so I went to beauty school because I was gay and it was, it was 2001 and that's what she did. And so, <laughs> So I bleached my hair and went to beauty school. And talk about light yellow, this was more of kind of a marigold situation. <laughs> I, I spent a majority of my beauty school time with that same goddamn awful marigold hair. Every picture, every picture. Um, black eyeliner all over me, and craft glitter. I was, I was fly, you know? I was also 17. And so, I'm going through beauty school. I'm trying to figure my shit out. Um, I'm not a performing artist anymore. I'm still diabetic. I'm smoking cigarettes and I'm trying to drink and I'm smoking weed also really badly, by the way, <laughs> because I love food a lot and I have diabetes, which makes it a little complicated. But I figured it out when I started smoking pot. I was like, I can be vegetarian and I can just everything in the world as long as I only have vegetarian food around me. So I did that for a while and then realized it took me. I, did, I just stopped smoking weed. <laughs> so seven, uh, about 15, 14 years later, uh, my life is falling apart. I am poor. I can't afford my illness. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm drinking a lot. And those same shades of yellow that I was born with are kind of showing up on me. Um, the emotions were showing up on me. I'd had a relationship end with death, which wasn't something I'd anticipated. I always thought I would be the first one to go. <laughs> and I thought I might be the next one to go. And I sat in a bathtub full of Cabernet, which is what I call it, but it was about two and a half bottles of Cab and no hope. And I saw a friend post on Facebook that he was doing an Ironman. And I was like, hold up. If that fat, fat, drunk motherfucker can do an Iron Man, I can fucking do an Iron Man. And so 16 weeks later, I did. Um, I, learned, I learned to ride a bike. <laughs> I knew I could swim because I was a scout in salmon, which was really popular. Um, and I, I learned to run six miles and then 12 and then 13. Anyway, did an Ironman, changed my life. I then started back to school. And all of these things just kept changing in front of me and it was like the lights, you know? It was just, it was green now and all of a sudden it was yellow and I didn't know, do I go? Do I stop? I'm fairly cautious now because I've made all these fucking mistakes that have really sucked, but now I'm here. And so I just decided to go for it and I went back to school and I went back to school and I was like, I'm a fucking idiot and I'm gay and so it's supposed to be beauty school but I can't make enough money. And so I started testing and I started testing and testing and going to school and liking it. And I ended up in this engineering program. And um, now I'm there. And now I am bordering on 35 years old. I have 17 years worth of doing hair under my belt. I am not a skinny little alcoholic anymore. I am a fairly fit 
diabetic running you know a fitness campaign for diabetics trying to promote healthy um, life and all I can say is whether it's yellow lights or light yellow <laughs> you can always slow down and take stock of what's happening but don't ever stop Well, Fred, let's hear it for Fred. Out of y'all. I'm Fred. I'm going to tell you about 1976, the summer, in San Marcos, Texas, home of Southwest Texas State University, where I was a graduating art student, like so many others here tonight. <laughs> Well, my neighbor in the house that I was living in, Susie, and her boyfriend, Randy, had just told me they were getting married in Luckenbach, and I was invited to the wedding. And my roommate, Michael, was gonna be the preacher and from the Universal Life Church. So we drove to Luckenbach for the wedding, and I was totally unexpecting and not looking for anything other than a good time that, that day and night. Well, Susie's good buddy and uh, bridesmaid, Jeannie, the classic Jewish princess, Rich from Austin and the University of Texas, another art major, <clears throat> was there and uh, she had never given me a second look in the whole five years that I had known her. But that night she came up to me and said, don't drink too much tonight. And I went, huh? So she just goes, I'm gonna be watching you. Don't get drunk. So, okay. So I started drinking and dancing with all the girls and smoking a little pot and listening to the music and having a great time. And Jeannie kept coming up to me and saying, quit drinking. <laughs> and I would look at her and I'd go, well, why? She goes, don't worry, just quit drinking. So little did I know, all of Susie's brothers were all hitting on her that night and trying to take her off into the woods. Well, she had something else in mind. So when the band quit playing that night, she grabbed me and drugged me out to the parking lot and said, get in the car. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so little did I know, she was taking me off to the Goodnight Hotel in Fredericksburg, 10 miles away. So we, we drove in, snuck upstairs to our room, I still was kind of not really knowing what was going on. She took me inside and threw me on the bed, which immediately broke and fell onto the floor. So, being the good, good guy I was, I tried putting the bed back together again. 
Meanwhile, she had gone off to get undressed and I had the bed put back together and she came out of the, the bathroom with no clothes on. And I was still standing there in my cowboy shirt and pants and boots and my wide, mouth wide open. Oh my gosh. So she grabbed me, threw me on the bed again, which immediately fell down and broke. I dragged the, the mattress out into the middle of the floor and we proceeded to go to town all night long in more ways than I had ever imagined. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So I finally just passed out. The next morning, I woke up and she said, get your clothes on, we gotta get out of here. I've already paid for the room, but we don't, we don't need to stop at the office. Well, little did I know she hadn't paid for me. So she was sneaking me out of the back door down to the car. So we got in the car and started to drive off and the manager came out and stopped us at the gate and said, no, you're not gonna leave yet. You have to pay for your lover boy too. So, so she did and we drove back to Lukenbach and as we were driving up, there was all of Susie's brothers all standing around their cars and trucks, giving her the hoo-ha. Hoo-wee! <laughs> and she dropped me off, and I never saw her again. Thanks for listening. Story Story Late Night is brought to you by our story party, Amy Moran, Karis Kimball, Hannah Mae Schaefer, Karen Moore, Nicholas Warden, and me, Jody Eichelberger. Thank you to our season sponsor, Over 19 Adult Shop, and the Yellow Light Show sponsor, the Story Story Night Board of Directors. The Story Story Late Night theme song is by Ned Evett, with podcast production by Stephen Baldessari, featuring live music from Eric Henderson. Support this storied program, find upcoming shows, and stay tuned at www.storystorynight.org or on SoundCloud, Facebook, and YouTube at Story Story Night.